0: i am awake
1: welcome to native roots radio presents i'm awake and i'm your host wakanja Hade.
0: this
3: portion of the show is supported by the minnesota indian women's sexual assault coalition hey welcome back to another episode of native roots radio i'm awake today i get the honor to welcome back minnesota state representative heather keeler as our guest host passing the
4: mic to you heather welcome Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Um, I love when Robert lets me take over the show because that means I get to build the content. I get to bring the people that I know are doing really good work in Minnesota and we get to um, have conversations through education. Um, I think the last time I was here, we had just wrapped up session and it was like this quick, you know, I feel like quick overview of all these amazing things that we got to do. Um, But one of the things that I have been really passionate about kind of back in my Indian education days was really educating and understanding um, sex trafficking and how that plays out in our communities and how often it's happening right in front of us and we don't even know it. I remember um, a story that sticks out and like I get emotional about it often in the work is that I had worked with this family for seven years and this young lady graduated, went to college and she came back as a mentor and she sat there and she said, "Miss Heather, you didn't even catch the signs. I was being trafficked between after school and I was home every night for dinner. In my own community, this was somebody I sat and talked to on a regular basis and it was heart-wrenching for me. Um, Also knowing that the work that I've done to end homelessness um, actually intertwines, You know, making sure that our youth have a safe space to live um, decreases the likelihood of some of these risks. And so um, I kind of wanted to bring light to how you take those stories from the streets, how you take the stories from these relationships with kids um, and my work as a state representative. And so I've brought Samar with me. Hey, Samar. Hello, everyone. So Samar works with The Link. Um, do you wanna tell us a little bit about what The Link is and what the services are and then we'll get a little bit more into the other weeds of things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, the Link does a whole lot of stuff so I'll try to keep it as brief as possible and we're a little time limited. Um, but We're a youth nonprofit organization, um, youth and adult led nonprofit organization uh, based in North Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, and we kind of have like three pockets of programming, or what we call divisions there. One being Safe Harbor, which is uh, my area of expertise, and then we have homeless. We have the uh, Homeless and Housing Division. Um, so, young people, we have about 260 units of housing for young people that are in need of apartments and things like that, some different types of housing styles. Uh, and then we also have a Youth Advocacy Division. Um, used to be called our juvenile justice division, but as we know, it's not always justice that's being provided. So the youth uh, decided to change the name of that. And so those are kind of our three areas of uh, expertise at the link.
4: That's the coolest part, actually. So um, we have Homeless Day on the Hill. And if anybody knows, like that's kind of the place where advocacy and these you know, engaged youth or engaged individuals in Minnesota can intersect with your state representatives and the individuals that are making change. And so um, as a elected official who came in in the pandemic, my first term, you know, I didn't get to experience this. And so Homeless Day on the Hill was in March this year. And it was like, if you ever know the arc of the session, like by March, legislators were tired. We've been working a lot, like we've been working our bills and then, you know, people come to the Capitol and there's times when it's it feels like really magical because the work we do is connected then with the people that we do it for. And Homeless Day on the Hill was so cool. Um, and the link, like Samar was talking about there, you know, it's, it's youth led really. And it was so cool to see this huge group um, not only join us, but then be like really engaged. And so Samar, talk a little bit about what that day was like and how maybe the youth felt being being there in that time.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, those days are always really incredible. They're long days, but I think they're probably one of the most fun, um, not necessarily activities, but kind of days of advocacy that we get to do. Um, the young people, we have five youth advisory boards at the link and, uh, you know, year round, they're working on policy changes. They're leading workshops, they're helping to hire and sit in on interviews and do all kind of cool things. Um, and so when the session came around, they kind of really got to put that into practice and see what that felt like to walk into the Capitol. Um, and not only, you know, to see who folks like you were, um, but to also, I think, really recognize the power that they had, um, I think was probably the coolest part. So we, we, we come pretty deep at the link. We like to make sure all of our staff and our youth show up um, because there's power in numbers, you know, as we know. Um, and people really like to listen to the young people, to the to the youth, to the kids, because those are, you know, that's the future. And I think who's mostly being impacted. But they have a blast. They make the work fun. Um, you were awesome and gave us a tour that we were not expecting to have. Uh, and So they really thought that that was pretty cool. They think the world of, of Rep Keeler. Um, <laughs> so, But it was just an awesome day to see him testify and help out, yeah. you know, with some of that stuff. So
4: that was a fun day. And it was crazy because I had like meetings all afternoon and I came around the corner and y'all were standing outside the elevator and I was like, "We're going to go introduce you guys to some of the key people who played a role in getting that legislation passed because um, you know, the Youth Homeless Act was designed by kids youth they were street you know outreach workers and so i think the link is just an example for other organizations too that when you're doing this work that you want to positively impact the youth which as indigenous people we talk so much about seven generations that you know the key is to have the youth deeply involved and really helping to lead uh you know lead the ship on that and so that was awesome and then that night we had some of the youth were actually testifiers um in committee, you know, asking for funding. And we kind of joked around because I I had I told one of the youth off, you know, like off to a side. I was like, so our mind frame going into this is we have to tell the story, sell the story and basically like ask for all the money. Right. And then they like really said that in spaces. But um, Samar, you work pretty close with the youth. What are some of the like what do they feel when they leave the Capitol and kind of go back into these spaces? Like, I know representation matters Mm -hmm. and being there, but like we try to humanize this work so that the youth can really understand that they lead this ship.
0: Yeah, I think um, they definitely felt empowered. I think they felt like, um, you know, being a part of something like that was more reachable um, than it, you know, seemed before they got to experience the Capitol and experience the tour and, See each other testify and you know so i think they felt like it was possible and i think that's one of the key pieces to working with young people is is opening up the door for them you know and and helping them to experience all of these new things and and build hope because with hope i think comes a lot of success and they're very smart so i think they they felt empowered they felt they could create and make changes they felt like they did create and make change. Um, and that also, I think, uh, extends to our staff at the link too. a lot of us and some of our, uh, newer staff or younger staff had never been in the Capitol, um, or experienced that either. So, yeah, that's a good point. Like I was
4: never in the Capitol. I don't know if I told you that like the first time I'd ever set foot in the Capitol was after I got elected. And I went for my like individual tier tour, cause we were in COVID. So you couldn't go with a group. Um, and I remember like stepping on the floor for the first time, like this should not be the first time I'm here. So I love that the kids come. And then we come out to y'all too. Like I came to one of your panels to see them doing this work. You know, these organizations don't just show up and say they do the work. Like when you go out and check on them, you know, they're really invested in these relationships and they um, really matter. And you become like invested in the work. So I, I appreciate the work you do. And I know Minnesota's better um, because of it. I know that we're about to go to break in a little bit. When we come back we'll talk a little bit more about uh, sex trafficking. I just want to give people a heads up that that's what we're going to be talking about. We know that this is something that is extremely difficult for some. Um, we know that it impacts many Minnesotans. Um, when we do um, the MCAs on, in education, we know that we ask kids that are in ninth and 11th grade if they've ever experienced sex trafficking and we know um you know that it's anywhere between you know i won't give the data because sometimes that scares people but it's like one kid is too many. And so we have the data and we know that it's happening in Minnesota. I've had conversations with our Senator Tina Smith about bringing highlights to Minnesota around it because we don't want to wait until it's too late to really invest in it. Um, The one thing about Minnesota and safe harbor laws is that um, we actually created state statute to put a definition around um, what is sexually exploited youth. So that has helped us to set up ways to really fund uh, these areas.
3: And you're listening to Native Ritz Radio, and we'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us.
1: Hey, this is Robert Pilot. I taught in St. Paul Public Schools for over 25 years and I want you to join the team and make a difference in our children's future. Right now, St. Paul Public Schools is offering hiring and retention bonuses up to $10,000 for a variety of teaching and classroom support positions for the next school year. Grow in a supportive and fulfilling public school setting. Limited bonuses are available, so don't delay. Apply at SPPS.org slash careers.
2: The Mary T. family of companies serves seniors and people with a wide range of disabilities. We provide home health care, hospice services, and accessible rental housing. This is Mary T., and we'd like you to join us. We're hiring direct care professionals, CNAs, nurses, and other support services. Our mission is to provide quality, personalized services to meet the unique and evolving needs of the people that we serve. Join a Minnesota family-owned company that was founded on a history of care. Apply today at MaryTInc.com slash careers.
1: back to native Ritz radio presents i'm awake and this is robert pilot
3: this portion of the show is supported by the native american community clinic on franklin avenue in minneapolis honoring health and tradition
4: and we're back so um, going into this part of the segment, I do just want to give a heads up that we're going to be talking about signs um, and some stories and some real life stuff around sex trafficking. So um, I just always like to give people heads ups about that. Um, but one of the things that Minnesota has done is our safe harbor our safe harbor law actually protects youth from being arrested for prostitution and um, in the state of Minnesota. In the past, some you know, if a, if a youth was involved in sex trafficking, it would end up being more um, of a criminal space for our youth. And we know that that's not the case. And in Minnesota, we've really made those changes to, you know, there's there's a way that you have to set up statutes so that you have the language to be able to make the changes. That's kind of what we just got done talking about. But um, the reason that the youth were at the Capitol is because we were working on getting funding for um, Safe Harbor. And Samar is the Safe Harbor division director over at the link. And so Samar, do you want to talk to us a little bit about what this funding will do and some of the expansion and ideas that we can really invest in the community to make an impact?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, uh, you know, the funding really goes to, uh, uh, you know, various, various programs that participate in Safe Harbor um, services and support. I think it really is going to help with things like, you know, building more Shelter um, and housing opportunities for young people that need it, um, helping to hire on more staff and, and even increase the pay for some staff to do the work and continue the work and provide services and support. Um, It'll also increase some of the services that come from the statewide approach. So, for example, um, the safe harbor law kind of created what we call um, our regional navigators. Uh, There's 11 of those within the state of Minnesota, two of those being tribal navigators specifically. Um, And so being able to maintain those navigators, um, which are 24, I kind of just identify them as 24-7 crisis lines. um, But being able to maintain those lines so that young people, no matter where they're potentially identified as you know, sexually exploited youth or youth that's in need of some support—they're able to to get that anytime, day or night. And so, all of those things cost money, of course. And so, um, that funding really helps to keep keep the boat moving. So, yeah,
4: yeah. We talk a lot about how hard this work is and the longevity of like when people get into this work, um, you know, how long they stay or they go and and they leave because of the uncertainty of the funding. And when you're so underfunded. In these crisis, I call them the areas of love. Like, this is love work. Like, you show up because you love this work and you want to impact these kids. And it's not necessarily always about the money. Um, But what we tried to do this year is really invest deeply. You know, so like Samar said, we can have individuals that do this work. But what we've seen is some of the best individuals in this work actually were youth that were being served at one point or utilizing the services. And so, Um, Talk a little bit how the link helps in that transition, you know, from being youth to Mm -hmm. then being a professional in this work.
0: Yeah, so I'll kind of start just maybe by telling you a little bit about what we do within our Safe Harbor Division. So um, we do have 24-7 shelter for minors, we have housing programs, we have um, what we call supportive services, which includes that regional navigator line, but it also includes things like um, law enforcement victim support, it includes family support, um, mobile case management, aftercare, all of these different aspects that we've, we've learned from young people um are really important to have we can't just have you know you come to shelter and then when you leave you don't get any services um and so that it starts really when they come into the program they get to lead their goal plans they tell us you know what it is that they they need i mean they've survived honestly um, already on their own so they're good at quite a few things when they already come in so one of the things that we try to do is help them kind of hone in on those skills you know what skills do you already have that apply to this work um you know, once they kind of move throughout programming, they can apply to be on one of our youth advisory boards. And through those youth advisory boards, they are paid staff. They are paid at the same rate as our youth specialists, our adult staff um, in our shelter programs and things like that. Um, you know, we do things, like we said, uh, public speaking and all of that good stuff. But the key to that is really helping them to figure out how do they process and talk about that work, right? I know I just went and talked about this at the Capitol, but how do I, how do I say this in an interview? So helping them kind of revise their resumes and practice their interview skills and one of the things growing up when you know I was doing this work nobody told me that I was just doing and doing and doing um so that's yeah. one of the things that we're, is really just kind of important is like they won't. They don't have a resume built. So how do we help them do that? And so, um, getting them into positions of power. You know whether that's you know going to the Capitol and things like that, or with you know the Minnesota Department of Health or uh, DHS and things like that. So where can they actually make big decisions? And uh, we just kind of help guide them through that process. Try to introduce them to people that also share, uh, it, you know, in in those values and in their communities and being connected in those communities. So. Um, We've learned uh, recently, more recently, that uh, even though we serve up to the age of 25, so their 25th birthday, um, we have a lot of young people that have wanted to remain on those advisory boards and remain involved. So that's been a new um, kind of identifier. And we're trying to figure out how do we maintain this uh, (laughs) since they want to stay so involved. Yes. So it's been interesting. We've hired a lot of them on staff too. So they're also doing things like working in our programs. Um right. whether that be front desk work or being a youth specialist and doing direct service themselves. Um yeah, all kind of stuff.
4: That's kind of cool. It's like that alumni mentality. Like they went through yes. it and they're so proud of it that that now they still want to stay involved. Well that says a lot about what you guys are doing over there and like how you really embrace people holistically, which is, and mm-hmm. you know, we've been saying that forever. You can't just like give a kid a house and expect that they're going to be able to thrive um, and really teach them and give them the tools to be successful. So my hope is that as you all do this and this is happening all over the state, it's really happening all over the nation. Safe Harbor is something that happens not just in Minneapolis, St. Paul, but all over Minnesota and all over really the nation. Um, But what I hope is that we're building up our youth in this way that then they become leaders who sit at the tables um, with me, you know, because we have really unique stories and we're seeing the shift in leaders who are coming from the industry of love. You know, we do have more social workers, individuals who have gone through the struggle of life that end up at these tables. And so, um, you know, the message kind of every time I, I come on, especially when I steal the show is that Um, you know, it's you, it's people like you, Samar, it's people like the youth that we work with, it's the individuals who show up one day at the Capitol and feel ignited to get engaged is really how we make change. And so um, I hope that that message has been real clear um, in this example of how this works. But um, also, let's kind of move into some of the signs. Like I had talked about the young lady that I'd worked with, and she came back and my mind was blown that I had missed something as simple as she messaged me and said, it was my lipstick. You know, They gave me lipstick to start wearing and I, you know, I learned these different things. And so um, what, what are some of the signs that for those of us who work with youth maybe just need to be a little bit more mindful of?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, to start, I just wanna make a little bit of a disclaimer that there's no single sign that's gonna you know, necessarily tell you that someone's been trafficked or not. And so just to be mindful of that, there's a lot of similarities, but every young person that comes into our program has a very unique and, and different situation. Um, and, and it's hard, it's hard to, to identify, but there's a lot of ways that you can look. And part of that is building those relationships. So knowing, you know, the young people that are in front of you also thinking about, um, you know, what perspective you're coming from. Are you looking at them as a parent? Are you looking, are you a healthcare professional? What does that really look like? Um, but it can be things, you know, from them being malnourished, it can be, you know, uh, if you are a healthcare professional, for example, are you seeing, you know, abortion after abortion or STIs and kind of consistency in that? Um, some of it is just around, you know, are they making eye contact with you? Do they feel, uh, you know, hesitant to make decisions? Um, are they able to speak without someone else in the room? Those kind of things. Um, some of them, some of it, could be physical. Um, You know, one of the signs that some some traffickers uh, mark kind of, you know, quote unquote, mark their territory. So looking at tattoos, um, you know, our youth coming to school or coming home with new jewelry and more money and, you know, new clothing? But you're like, where is this coming from? You don't have a job or your job isn't enough to to pay for some of this. So it's really about knowing the young people that you're around and thinking about, you know, some of the changes uh, that that you might be seeing. Some of the fear that I know that we've talked Mm -hmm. about is, um, especially
4: youth that have maybe been in the foster care system or, you know, with an indigenous population of Native American children. So, um, you know, in in the conversations that I've been a part of, kind of peripherally, is that higher risk group of individuals and that housing them and giving them, you know, that safe place keeps them safer um, long term. And so you and I have talked a little bit about that you know that cross section of like if we house them, that keeps them safe as well. And so, talk a little bit about the shelter component of that and how uh, maneuvering
0: from when they first get involved with you to then how we provide shelter for them. Yeah. So um, just kind of going back, you know, the average age of entry in into what um, a lot of people call the life or the lifestyle of prostitution or exploitation is twelve to fourteen years old. Um, and we're seeing a lot of young people come into our programs that simply don't have stability they don't have a home to go back to or that home is unsafe or uncomfortable maybe they've been kicked out which you know a lot of lgbtq uh youth uh, kind of had that that particular situation happen where they're kicked out of the homes um and then they're more vulnerable outside nobody's necessarily wanting to hire them there's just so many different uh so many different ways but i think Housing and policy change uh, is really what the LINK sees as kind of the foundation of change for sex trafficked youth. They need a safe place to be, a safe place to go, and a place to start. Nothing else is going to help if they don't have that.
4: That's true. See, this time goes really fast. I told you we could probably talk about this for a long time. <laughs> Um, but I know that you actually do training. You talk about this in a lot of spaces that if there are people here who really do work and live in those spaces and maybe want some more education, uh, the link is just a great place to start at least and maybe help you get connected Do um, last quick shout out of the link. Thanks for everything that y'all do. Um, we appreciate you. We appreciate you and what you do with the link. Um, thanks for bringing the youth along. Appreciate it. Thank you.
3: And we'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us.
5: j and Bean Factory is a Native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods, Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff.
3: Even though the public COVID-19 emergency might be over, it's still important to stay up to date on vaccinations. And if you're like most people, you probably need a refresher on who should get vaccinated and when. So here's the bottom line. If you're six years or older aim for that one updated COVID-19 vaccine. It doesn't matter if you've had a previous vaccine or not you're still in the game. Now if you're 65 or older you've got the green light for one extra dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Just wait four months after your first updated dose and you're good to go. And for the little ones children between six months and five years may need multiple doses including at least one of the updated vaccines based on their age and previous doses. Remember. Always stay informed and reach out to healthcare professionals for personalized guidance. Didn't catch all of that? You can find all of the updated COVID vaccine information at health.state.mn.us. That's
2: health.state.mn.us.
1: This message is brought to you in partnership with the Minnesota Department of Health.
2: Life is a journey, and the Doherty Family College at the University of St. Thomas will help you get where you want to go. Located in downtown Minneapolis, this affordable two-year college provides free textbooks, a laptop, meals, career coaches, and a Metro Transit pass, making DFC the perfect pathway to a bachelor's degree. Turn your dreams into reality at Doherty Family College at the University of St. Thomas. Apply today at DFC c.stthomas.edu Your Blue Line Extension project wants to hear from you. We are working on extending the Blue Line light rail into North Minneapolis, Robbinsdale, Crystal, and Brooklyn Park and connecting it to our growing transit system. Tell us about your neighborhood, your business, your family, and what you need from Your Blue Line. Learn more and share more of your story at yourblueline.org. That's yourblueline.org.
1: Hi, this is Chad from AM950. Snap Construction is arguably the most well-reviewed roofing, siding, window, and insulation contractor in the metro. Ryan is so excited about working with AM950 and our listeners that he wants to help us grow. This is Ryan, owner of
5: Snap Construction. I was friends with Chad long before I started marketing with him. I was a bit skeptical of radio advertising before Chad convinced us to run ads. The advertising's been so successful, we want to help the station grow. We've absolutely loved working with the listeners of AM950, and we all know how extreme Important, This radio station is to the community. To help AM950 grow, Snap Construction will be putting up proceeds to assist the station in marketing on social media. Snap Construction encourages you to follow, engage, share, and interact on the AM950 social media platforms. Together, we can all work to ensure AM950 continues to thrive and grow in our communities. We stand by our work with a lifetime craftsmanship guarantee. For a free estimate or more information on our financing, call 612-333-SNAP or check us out online.
1: With a look at your AM 950 weather, I'm Patrick Lilia. Clear tonight with a low of 58, then more sunshine Tuesday with a high of 83. Fill the hot summer nights with the hottest music in the Twin Cities at Crooner's Supper Club in Fridley. Crooner's is located just north of I-694 off Highway 65. View their schedules and food menus at KroonersLoungeMN.com.
0: Hi, this is Representative Sharice Davids from Kansas. I'm Ho-Chunk, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio.
1: And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot.
3: This portion of the show is supported by Minnesota 350, a grassroots organization fighting for climate justice. Before we get back to our guest host today with Heather Keeler, we're going to take a quick listen to Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan's newest update from the Capitol. This is Lieutenant Governor Peggy
6: Flanagan, and I'm joining Native Roots Radio with an update from the Walls Flanagan administration. On July 1st, many of the incredible accomplishments we made last legislative session went into effect. Free breakfast and lunch for K-12 students in summer academic programs. And this fall, K-12 students across the state and participating schools will also have access to free breakfast and lunch at school, no questions asked, no stigma. Believe me, as a parent of a rising fifth grader, there are a lot of hot lunches in my daughter's future. Our budget also has big investments in K-12 education for the next two years, or biennium in legislative speak, including tying education funding to inflation beginning in 2026. Another big investment for Native students includes increased funding for American Indian Education Aid and new restrictions on its uses to make sure that all of the funding gets to Native students without being used for other purposes. And on July 1st, new funding for the native language revitalization classes in public schools came into effect. Soon, it will be much easier for native students to learn their languages in Minnesota. Our budget also increased investments in health equity for communities disproportionately impacted by health inequities, including native communities and communities of color. We established the Office of American Indian Health at the Minnesota Department of Health and funded the Native American elders coordinator position at the Department of Human Services. We permanently funded traditional healing grants for substance use disorders and expanded access to culturally specific substance use services. And we're starting to see money get into communities through our Family Homeless Prevention and Assistance Program. And in the coming months, new first-time homebuyer programs will launch and be available throughout the state increased investments to assist local governments and administer elections. We established the Digital Fair Repair Act, which requires technology manufacturers to continue providing the parts and equipment to maintain and repair digital equipment. And we increased investments and new programs to bolster economic opportunity, including the Minnesota Forward Fund, the Climate Innovation Finance Authority, and the Small Business Assistance Partnerships programs and Launch Minnesota. And we provided $50 million in workforce training grants to help organizations providing job skills and trainings for hiring support for people of color and native folks. There's still a lot of changes and implementation on the horizon, and more new programs and laws will go into effect on August 1st, including the legalization of adult-use cannabis. So whether I'm dipping Dilly Bars in Moorhead or visiting a dairy farm in Carver County, I'm excited to continue highlighting the great work that's happening in Minnesota, across the state, and across the country. Chimi miigwech pina gigi,
3: and back to you. Wow. Thank you, Peggy, so much. Pina Gigi, we appreciate all that you do here at Native Roots Radio and for our communities. And with that being said, back to you, State Representative Heather Keeler.
4: I love that she highlighted the fact that when she was in Moorhead, she was dipping dilly bars because Moorhead, which is the district that I represent, is the home of the dilly bars. So that's great. Um, And it's also great. Like for us to follow up because now, for the last half of the show, I have the honor to be joined with Representative Jamie Becker Finn. Um, the one of the coolest parts about serving in Minnesota is that we have a Native American Legislative Caucus. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but first, welcome to the show, Jamie. I'm so glad you could join us.
7: Yeah, boujou. Get to follow up, Peggy, though.
4: <laughs> I know it's like she kind of, yeah, I mean, right? It's like a It's like a beautiful reunion. We were just up in um, Red Lake on the 4th of July all together. And we kind of laughed because there's five of us as indigenous people who serve uh, in the state of Minnesota. Jamie, do you wanna walk us through who they are and kind of what roles they play?
7: Yeah. Well, so, so I'm one of them. Uh, so Jamie Becker-Finn, I represent a uh, suburb suburban Ramsey County area. I'm Leech Lake Ojibwe grew up on the res, still go back home uh, quite often. And then we've got uh, Heather here uh, representing the Moorhead area uh, representative Leach Kozlowski from Duluth. Uh, and then Senator Kunish, we only have one native Senator, uh, Senator Kunish, who also Ramsey County suburbs. And then we have Peggy who's a former legislator and our, our partner in the executive branch in our uh, legislative work.
4: Yeah, which is so cool because um, for those of you who are kind of uh, legislative nerds maybe, is that really the Native American caucus for what I think is probably the first time, um, holds a lot of power in the decision-making because we sit at these tables, because um, we're in very slim majorities. And so um, you really have to get our caucus you know, on board four things, um, but we've also been able to do a lot of education, you know, to the other members. But um, I still feel very new to this role. And I know, um, so, so, Jamie is actually the chair of judiciary. And um, so she's chair Becker-Finn, uh, you know, when we're in these spaces, but um, that took time. And so talk a little bit about, you know, the growth that you've seen from when you first got elected and where we are now in that power structure and and how our voices really matter in this system.
7: Yeah, so when I was first elected, so I'm in my fourth term now, and um, when I, first, I still remember, I always tell people this story. I still remember my very first day of committee. And, you know, I I, w- I thought like the environment and natural resources committee was like, like, why wouldn't everybody want to be on that committee? It's so important in our hunting and our fishing and, you know, protecting mother earth. Like, of course, and of course, like, it's not that as popular among legislators. Um, and I walked in that room the very first day and there were no BIPOC people in the room at all. Um, I was the only indigenous person and I was probably the youngest person by at least 15 maybe 20 years. So, and that included the people in the audience, like even the lobbyists like
0: mm. in that
7: room that day were all like skewed, not very diverse. And um for a second I sort of was like, "Oh god, like what am I?" I felt really small. And then I realized like that, that's why I'm here. I'm here because I need to be here because otherwise nobody's going to say these things that need to be said. Nobody's going to ask, you know, what do the tribes think? Nobody's going to point out that, um, you know, our, our animals and our fish and our, our, you know, we call it as a part of natural resources as if, as if they're just there for us to take from. And so, you know, my perspective was, has always been really different and, um, Where we've come since then is like, I, and I was in the minority my first term. So I like, my role was just like a first term person in the minority. And my role was just to like, be as annoying as possible. Um, But I was like, every single bill was like, what do the tribes think of this? No, it isn't okay to just email some guy and tell me that you've like, uh, you know, that that's interacting with the tribes, you know, like that's the government to government uh communication. So like for where we are now to where we were then, you know, now it's the native caucus is known, it is recognized. People know to come talk to us about things ahead of time to get our perspectives. The agencies know that um our voices are really important. Um and then we have, you know, at the time Peggy was also a minority member in in the the house in this the um the state house. So to have her now in the governor's office is incredibly important too, where we can really work um, as partners in that way. So it's it's definitely different now. We've had two different sovereignty days now under Speaker Hortman to really educate other legislators, educate the public about what sovereignty means. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's been super helpful too, as we move these issues
4: forward. Yeah, well, and we bring it to light that, you know, Sovereignty means it's a government to government relationship. And I think so often it presents itself as like the government is overseeing, you know, our tribal nations. And really, it's a partnership. That's what it's designed to be. And so um, it has been really beautiful, even in just the three years that I've been here to see that expand um, with uh, with well now Senator Kunish, but she started in the House, too. And then now we have Representative Kozlowski with us as well. And so we just keep keep growing and and it matters. And so um I, I wanted to talk a little bit about your role as the chair. And so, you know, some of this is that it takes time and we've been building this momentum and we've been getting here. And as you've talked about, like I, I also joined um environment natural resources because we were fighting line three and i was like of course that's where i need to be um and it was actually really aggressive i mean that was a really hard place to be and so knowing that you were there before me kind of starting these conversations and then i joined in and now you know we're building the momentum but as a chair of judiciary you played a big role in some of our things, especially around like our murdered and missing indigenous relatives, having a voice at that table. You had the gavel some of the times when we were in conference committee. Um, Talk a little bit about the uniqueness of being a chair and being indigenous and protecting our tribal nations. Yeah,
7: for sure. So I think, you know, the way that the legislature, the power structures and the whole system is built is really um, who has power. And it's very like, Um, You know, it's not sort of this organic flowing power. It's very like structured and hierarchical, just the way that the structure of the legislature is built. So to have a gavel is, um, you know, just a type of recognized power that everybody who works the legislature understands. And so, um, you know, being able to have that power, it means that not only Whether they want to or not, and whether they like me or not, they're sort of forced to treat me more respectfully. Because when you're the chair of a committee, if you if somebody is disrespectful to me, well, I'm not necessarily going to go out of my way to help them get their things done. Or, um, you know, if When we're just trying to schedule all these things, and somebody's asked me to do a favor, like, can you reschedule my thing? Like, if you were a jerk to Heather in another committee, or you were really disrespectful to Representative Kozlowski two weeks ago, I know. And so, um, you know, those when we talk about relationships mattering in the legislature, that's really what we're talking about. So, um, yeah, it has been really, uh, really cool to be part of um, the MMIR work from day one and bringing that, um, you know, to where we are now as well. So it's very cool. Yeah,
4: representation matters. And, you know, you're so right, is that Often we're able to be spoken to in a certain type of way, and then when you gain that leadership, you know, role, there's just a hierarchy of, you know, respect that we almost like have to earn. And I'm so proud of you. You know, I kind of say this behind the scenes a lot, but I think publicly, you know, as relatives in this work, um, I am honestly honored to do this work with you. And I'm so proud of you and the way that you have led us in the house um, on when we should speak up. You know, a lot of us are like, no, they did it. You know, we're about to go in and you're like, no, it's fine. Just let it play out. And so you've really um, been a strong leader for us in that. And so when we come back after the break, um, we'll get into some more examples, um, some of the legislation that we've done as a group, but then also some things that you've been able to accomplish individually
3: you're listening to Native Roots Radio. I'm awake and we'll be right back.
1: attention native american community we've come a long way in our fight against covid 19. the emergency declaration may be over but our responsibility to stay vigilant remains it is crucial to remember that the virus is still among us and we must continue to prioritize our health and the well-being of our loved ones and elders besides getting vaccinated Let's not forget the basics when we're around people who are still vulnerable to COVID-19. Wear your mask, wash your hands regularly, and take an at-home COVID-19 test if you have any symptoms. We've shown incredible strength and resilience throughout history, and we will triumph over this challenge as well. Let's honor our ancestors by taking care of one another and keeping our communities safe. Together, let's navigate uncertain times with courage and unity. Stay informed, stay safe, and remember that our actions today will shape a brighter future for our native community. Find more tips on continuing to be safe at health.state.mn.us. You're listening to Native Roots Radio. This is Spirit from Reservation
2: Dogs. Get up and listen.
1: Welcome back to Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm Awake and this is Robert Pilot.
3: This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. How! Wow, the lone wolf today, you guys, thank you. <laughs>
7: I, I didn't know the deal, sorry.
4: <laughs> I was even saying like, we need to have Chair becker howl howling and then I oh, forgot woo! to tell you that one. <laughs> um, all right, well, It's uh, Heather Keeler taking over for Robert, and I'm here with Representative Chair Becker-Finn. So let's talk a little bit about the Native American Legislative Caucus and how, you know, we were able to get things done. I think a lot of people talk about the trifecta and these things that the DFL, you know, the Democrats got done. Um, But to be quite honest, I am extremely proud of the work that we did as our caucus. And one of the highlights out of many... Um, was the Minnesota Indian Family Preservation Act and what we did in Minnesota to make sure that our Indigenous kids were protective or protected as ICWA was being challenged um, at the federal level. And it was it was emotional. It was one of the most emotional roller coasters I've ever been on. Um, I was licensed ICWA for a long time. And I can tell you being in those trenches emotionally with you and with um, Kozlowski was extremely meaningful. And um, talk us through kind of, we had a real clear message that this was not one individual's bill that the three of us were authors and how kind of unique that was. Um, And then having you be the chair uh, through that, talk a little bit about that.
7: Yeah, so I think, again, I think the way that things have typically been done at the legislature is that everything's like super ego driven and everything's sort of about the the one chief author and people are just so used to that, which means that usually they're used to pitting people against each other if, um, you know, well, maybe that person wants more attention than the other person or, you know, and, and people will use that against um, legislators who might even are supposed to be on the same team. But uh, the unique thing with this bill is that none of us came at this work um, in that way, um, you and mm-hmm. Representative Kozlowski and myself. And so I think like it was, um, I think honestly jarring for some people, but really emotional for some people. It's, it's not, the thing that happened a lot this, this session that has not happened in past sessions is like when that final vote would go up on the board, we would physically go be in space together and you know to Mm -hmm. be hugging and in you know instead of sort of this hyper formal like um you know just counting the numbers i won kind of thing and that's just not how any of us operate as individuals or as a group and so um i also thought this session was really special not just because of the trifecta but because um the three of us have really been able to work um in a really like real way where we actually care about each other and care about the outcomes instead of caring about like who gets credit or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So I think it, it has been a really cool experience, you know, whether it's MIFPA or, um, you know, lots of other things in other spaces too, where we were also able to kind of tag team um, between the different committees that we were on so we could cover more ground and then regroup and still have each other's backs even when we weren't physically always in the same place.
4: Yeah, that was really amazing. And I'm not a big hugger. That's not a surprise to people. Um, But honestly, one of the best hugs that I've ever experienced was on the House floor after we passed MIFPA. And we did. And it was our relatives were there. There were people from all over the state that, again, like this just isn't a place that Indigenous people maybe show up or have reasons to show up to celebrate, particularly. And. I remember after that, we started getting warnings, like wait until we gavel out before we could celebrate because we really just went nuts in that place, but it was so beautiful, but um, you're right. And so when we presented the bill, typically what happens, and this is just an education point for people, is that it's there's one author of the bill and then there's co-authors that sign on in support of that bill, but it's really the author that shows up and presents the bill to the committees. And um, in our first hearing, the three of us showed up and sat at the table very intentionally together um, as the three lead authors of that. Um and then at the end when we sent it to the floor after it went through the Senate, we were very intentional working there. That uh chair Becker Finn, Chair of Judiciary, um, you know, played a big part in being able to be the chair of the send that to the house floor. Uh and I'm not I'm trying to like not get emotional in it, but um you know, that's what representation means. And I think the creator did a lot of work leading up to this point for us to be in these positions. And Peggy came and sat on the House floor with us. Mary left the Senate and came over and for maybe five minutes all five of us were on the House floor for this exact reason together. Um, and I think that was really beautiful. I, and we did a lot of other work and we can come back another day, uh, you know, to talk about all of the things Um, But let's talk a little bit about in judiciary, particularly the law, some of the law enforcement piece. We did a lot with EMS. Um, You kind of say like, you know, we had to kind of save some of the um, tourists out on tribal lands because um, we have such beautiful (laughs) spaces sometimes. But talk us through a little bit about those specific things that went through your jurisdiction, your committee.
7: Yeah, well, so I so I serve on the Judiciary Committee. I'm the chair of the Judiciary Committee. And then I also sit on the Public Safety Committee. And I'm the only indigenous person on that committee as well. And then those bills get um, those committees get combined at the end. So we're like in that final negotiation together. So the one that I'm the most proud of that I've been working on really the whole time I've been here is the tribal law enforcement jurisdiction bill um which is again to speak of how far we've come of like when i first introduced that bill and all it does is treat licensed peace officers who work for our tribal nations gives those tribal law enforcement officers the same authority as anyone any other licensed peace officer to enforce the law like it really shouldn't be that big of a deal but it was like it was like they couldn't even hold in the terrible things they would think um, you know, like assuming that our governments are not as well run as like a township or, you mm-hmm. know, or a County or things like that. And so, um, to go from that to like, we got to a point this year where it wasn't even really that controversial. It was sort of like, well, of course we would want tribal nations to be able to enforce the law. So um, Leech Lake in particular, where I'm from and the community I'm from, I was very familiar with what that meant for our, our communities. So getting that done was super important. And then um, you mentioned that the tourists, so Grand Portage, you know, they're, they're way up there. And um, the Coast Guard sort of pulled back from some of the work they'd been doing on Lake Superior um you know when folks who maybe don't um respect Lake Superior to the degree that they should get themselves into situations so we were able to get some funding so that um Grand Portage can have an emergency manager and have the equipment they need to take care of their people but also um if there's any other folks you know it's not usually our people on the wrong kind of boat um on Lake Superior on a bad day so um but yeah keeping everybody safe
4: Yeah. I mean, but those are the things that, like you said, over time, these conversations go from like, absolutely not to like, well, yeah, that makes sense. But that's because people like you have been there. People like Susan Allen were there, you know, educating really along the path very, very intentionally. Um, Because I want to just remind everybody, as I know that you mentioned where we all serve none of the indigenous people elected officials in Minnesota actually live and represent um, like a, a native nation. So we're we're showing up as elected officials for our own communities and for our tribal communities. And so, um, you know, it's, I appreciate and I see you for that. Lastly, um, I know we have a minute left, but you know, generationally also your dad served in this space, and one of the memories that I have because I serve on the Human Services was um, the Board of Aging Native Americans and the role that that was, you know, your dad's bill, and you were able to bring that um, to the floor so real quick as we wrap up, you know, the generational impact and how that plays a role and then our kids are playing on the front lawn, but like. Um, Talk us through that as being one of those final moments.
7: Yeah, well, so my dad had, back in the 90s, had um, got this uh, elders position in the Board of Aging passed, but nobody ever funded it. And so 30 years later, we we finally, with the three of us here in the house, were able to bring that forward and get, get the funding. And so um, Peggy mentioned it um, in her little piece too. So that'll be law this year.
4: Yeah, so when we all come together, we all do amazing things. Thank you so much.
3: All right. Thank you, Representative Heather Keeler. And we'll be back tomorrow. Thank you. Have a good night.